You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Kathy. I'm keeping well. And yourself? I'm very well. I'm very well. So I know we have a time lag. We've both been off for a bit, so we've had a three-week time lag, although it won't show up in our, in our schedule, but uh, getting back in the saddle, as they say. Yes, well, it's good to be uh, back with you. It is. It's nice to be. It, it's funny because I, I did the show that we are that this is attached to. I did mm-hmm. it uh, earlier, and it was it was like starting all over again, trying to learn Zoom and not learn it, but you know, getting acquainted with everything. So it's funny how the memory really shuts down when you go on holidays for a couple of weeks. And that that's definitely a good thing if you're able to mentally switch off from the day to day grind and enjoy your vacations. Right. It's it's oh. yeah. It doesn't seem to be too hard for me to mentally check out. So it was <laughs> it was a good two weeks. Yeah, I was I was I was away over the weekend uh, recently, and uh, it really helped me get recharged for what's coming up ahead. So it was uh, it's very important, I find, from a mental health point of view, just to um, check in with yourself and see what's important, right? And, Especially uh, during this time when we're sort of limited in our abilities to go places and the news is always hitting us in the face. I think you're absolutely right. Right. Absolutely right. Hopefully, hopefully our listeners have um, been able to enjoy their time and uh, we're here here again together for a new new program. So new program to bring you some more information in these challenging times, but we'll get through it. We will get through it because uh, that's what we do. That's what we do. So today's show is being taped, so no calling in, Um, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three places, and please do email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. So, Alex, I was doing um, – I like to, when we start the, you know, the intros to these shows, to sort of talk about things that are relevant um, – during the time and you know this time is about the pandemic and so forth and it's i found something very interesting i i I find it really interesting the things that i don't think about until they're put in front of me and i I sometimes shake my head at myself thinking wow i never even never even thought about that um this one was interesting to me one of these aha 
things. And it's about uh, issues that we're having with recycling. And most Canadians have bought into the recycling program. And where the issue that, um, you know, I was reading about this, I thought, holy cow, I wonder if everybody knows about this, because I certainly didn't. Recycling incorrectly, um, rather than helping the environment, apparently is costing recycling programs millions of extra dollars every year. I, I, I was astounded by this. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that uh, we're still not certain of what is going into the blue bins versus garbage. So there's too much actual garbage that is being thrown into the, the blue bins. Out. Yeah. Um, and that costs money to sort of sift through. But incorrectly recycling is leading to just a plethora of material um, that's collected in our blue bins to end up in landfills or be in incinerated. And um, also the plastics are making their way, and I think most people are aware of this now, making their way into waterways. So, And this is because of incorrect recycling. So experts are saying that this is called a recycling crisis. A significant amount of waste is being, uh, that is being put into recycling bins is being called contaminated. So contaminated in this context is the name for uh, non-recyclable material or garbage in the recycling system. So we're talking about um, like leftover food that's in its containers, um, plastics that have packaging around them or garbage stuck into them. And it's, it's really it's really adding to a growing problem of this recycling issue. This is making what could potentially be recycled thrown into garbage. So it's so important that we understand how to recycle properly. And, you know, every, every region is different. Every province is different. So, you know, what, what this article was pointing out is, is, we need to take more, we need to be more mindful in what we're doing. So there are three points that, that this article makes is into how we can better and really reduce cost and, and really make a recycling program viable. And the first one is emptying and recycling, uh, emptying and rinsing uh, all the containers that have food in them. Um, so peanut butter jars, yogurt jars, right. they, they need to be rinsed out and thrown into the bin. Yeah. Making sure that you know what goes into the bin. So don't throw garbage into the recycling bin. I think that everyone, uh, this is just from my point of view, I think everyone has good intentions. Um, yeah. I'll I, admit, I'm, I'm sometimes, sometimes lazy. Uh, I do my best to to recycle, and uh, but like you said, I I'm not always um, doing enough cleaning. For example, cleaning the jars or from the food of the food and things like that. I'm guilty. 
Well, I, I'm not sure that that was ever, again, I may be ignorant on this. I, I'm not sure that was ever really spelled out really clearly to please rinse your jars. Um, we usually rinse them just because, you know, from my, maybe my husband knew more about this, um, just because I didn't want the stuff leaking, you know, yeah. the, so we, we rinse them. But this, the actual reason why I looked into this is because we were having a conversation over the weekend. Um, my son and daughter-in-law live in a condo and they were talking about um, their, their garbage chute mm. and how people are, are, are jamming stuff into the garbage chute and how it sort of um, really affects all the residents and the condos. And this sort of spinned out into um, my husband saying that um, a lot of the recycling that's done incorrectly is just not being recycled. They don't bother going through it and it just gets shucked into the garbage. And I thought, wow, um, that, that really was surprising to me. So it, yeah. it, it is important. It's very important to understand how to recycle properly. So hopefully that brings some awareness because uh, we're, we're at home a lot. We are having a lot more recycling. So it is important um, to do it properly. Mm-hmm. So on to today's show. Our, our guest today is Dr. Eric Balkavaj, and he's the owner and founder of Rejuvagen, a functional medicine clinic in Chadsford, Pennsylvania. He is nationally recognized speaker and educator on various health-related topics, including thyroid physiology, biophysiology, detoxification, oxidative stress, methylation, and chronic disease. Dr. Balkavaj is a certified nutrition specialist, a certified functional medicine practitioner, board certified in integrative medicine, along with being a licensed chiropractor in Pennsylvania. Dr. Balkavaj is the host of a co-host of the Thyroid Answers podcast. And this podcast focuses on answering the pressing questions about those who are suffering with chronic hypothyroid symptoms and can't get answers that they want. You can find his Educational Thyroid Thursday videos on Vimeo and YouTube. And Dr. Balkavaj has made it his mission to change the way medicine looks at hypothyroidism. He is the co-author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Thyroid Debacle, and the book was co-written by Kelly Halderman. And this addresses problems with the current allopathic and functional medicine approaches to hypothyroidism, as well as the solutions to restoring proper thyroid physiology. So a few of the learning points, this is a quite interesting interview, is how inflammation can affect the thyroid, how the current medical model is inadequate in diagnosing thyroid issues, and how standard thyroid testing can be misleading in diagnosing thyroid issues. So everybody, we will be back in a few minutes to talk to Dr. Belkovash. so long till I can be with you once more remembering not long ago the sweetness of you being close love came just when it pleased you stole my heart you wounded me it makes my soul unceasing cry oh please return my one desire you're coming soon than my heart deserves not soon as I would have desired Bring me home with you Oh, don't delay Oh, little 
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, Dr. Balkovac. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I came upon your work when I was doing some research um, about the thyroid and cancer. I was I was interested in pursuing some knowledge about that point. And when I came upon your work, it really gave me sort of an aha moment. And I really felt it changed my perspective a bit and set me down a different road. So first off, thank you for that. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, And I think it's so important that our listeners really get a good understanding of thyroid, thyroid health, because to me, it's not delved into deeply enough. So maybe where we should start off is if you could explain to us the importance of the thyroid physiology, um, what it does for our overall health, and then we'll start talking about where things start going awry. Yeah, so thyroid physio- you know, thyroid glands is butterfly-shaped gland. Uh, in, it's located like right in the middle of the neck. And thyroid hormone is really the prime hormones that help maintain or, or uh, support metabolism in the body. So typically when the, the body's in a healthy state, the body's trying to generate energy to do all the things that are necessary for growth and development. Um, and the thyroid hormone plays a key role in the growth development of our different cells, tissues, and, and in our recovery. And so it's really critical, not just what the thyroid gland makes, but how that thyroid hormone gets into our cells to support normal, healthy metabolism. Many people, especially women. Now, tell us about, actually, let's go back a bit here. Tell us about your history and why the thyroid has taken up a lot of your time. So, yeah, I got started with thyroid physiology, not on purpose. You know, my background, uh, I'm a chiropractor by profession, and um, I went to, uh, I was a medical technologist, which is the person who does all the lab work when somebody submits their blood or their stool or their saliva. Uh, It's the medical technologist who does all the the actual testing of of the samples. And so that was my original background. I was going to go to medical school, wound up getting involved in a car accident, which changed my, um, my trajectory and wound up, go- wound up going to chiropractic school. And that was a great decision, a great choice. Uh, however, a couple of years into, uh, into working as a chiropractor, I got a, a message from a family member who said, hey, um, my wife just got diagnosed with hypothyroidism and iron, iron deficiency and uh, fibroid and, you know, they're going to take out her uterus and ovaries and put her on iron and put her on thyroid medication. Um, and I'm like, I don't think what's, what's creating it. And he's like, I'm glad you asked. I figured you figure it out, right? You're going to help her. Uh, and at that point in time, I really didn't know much more uh, about thyroid. I didn't really know any, really anything about thyroid physiology other than a couple labs that we did in the, in the, um, at the lab when, we were, when people ran tests and with, you know, the limited amount of information that I got in school. And so I started digging into thyroid physiology and how it worked and you know, studied under some of the really good functional medicine practitioners. And I think Dr. Karazian was uh, probably – one of the key figures at the time and um, 
learned a ton. And uh, I really got into it because I was trying to help a family member get better. And that, that led me down the path. But as I was talking to my chiropractic patients about, you know, thyroid physiology as I'm learning stuff, helping my sister-in-law, um, I didn't realize that so many of them were on thyroid medication and most of them weren't feeling great. And so that led me into helping more patients and more patients um, and really transitioning from a chiropractic practice to more of a strictly a functional medicine practice. And, and um, it's crazy, but you know, sometimes the more you learn about something, it seems to impact you <laughs> because mm-hmm. in my forties um, I too developed Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune component of hypothyroidism. And uh, I'm like, man, I'm helping everybody else address their thyroid conditions. And here I go developing my own thyroid condition. And it was by looking at how I developed my own that I really started changing to a degree how I looked at thyroid physiology from the traditional functional medicine model where the immune system kind of loses control and attacks the gland. And it's like this mistake in physiology to thinking about, hey, maybe this is more of a protective mechanism and maybe the thyroid physiology, um, the shift in thyroid physiology and even the autoimmune component isn't a mistake or a broken physiology, but maybe more of a protective mechanism. And the long-term solution isn't to try and figure out how to knock down thyroid antibodies or normalize TSH, maybe the long-term solution is to identify what's causing excessive cell stress and causing the body not to do this as a adaptive response versus a, a problem with, with thyroid physiology. There are so many pieces that you have uh, said there that I want to tackle, but the one, and I have to be frank about it, that really caught my eye was how you said it's almost like in your research you have found that the thyroid perhaps downregulates or upregulates in order to support health yeah so i think when we think about thyroid physiology you know usually when you're talking to a primary care or an endocrinologist they're talking about the gland breaking down and then that causes hypothyroidism um, but in reality, I think what happens more than not is there's some type of excessive cell stress, more stress than the cells can, can adapt to appropriately, and that triggers a, a protective mechanism. And what cells do is they say, hey, we're going to essentially when there's a stressor, there's inflammation, the cells downregulate metabolism. So they actually deactivate thyroid hormone in the cells and tissues And that results in reduced amounts of T3, the primary hormone that binds to receptors, uh, being there being less T3 in the cells. And that is typically what causes somebody to have hypothyroid symptoms. And what's interesting, and and probably a lot of you, you've had experience with this, I'm sure, and many of your listeners, is they feel like they're hypothyroid long before their thyroid gland becomes maybe dysfunctional or their TSH is out of range, but they're tired, they're fatigued, and they go to their physician. And, you know, if the physician is just running TSH, as is the, uh, the recommendations, and TSH is normal, they're going to be told they don't have a thyroid physiology problem or a thyroid, a hypothyroid condition, 
when in reality they probably do, but the gland is still functioning well, uh, and the problem is probably in what we call the peripheral tissues. And do you think that's where it starts? So it starts with an inflammatory response? I think it starts as part of that cell danger response because the, the, the cells really have two operating mechanisms, right? Uh, we're made of trillions and trillions of cells, and cells are, are either in, in a growth action, right? They're building new, new tissues, they're, re, or they're, they're in a build mode, or they're in a defense mode. And what helps regulate whether we're in, you know, what they call the energy building mode or the power plant mode or the defense mode is the, is the shift in thyroid physiology. It's almost like the thermostat of the cell. If, hey, if I need more energy, if I need more heat, I turn up the thermostat. I increase the conversion of T4 to T3. I bring more thyroid hormone into the cell. But if I need to slow down metabolism of the cell, then we're going to bring less thyroid hormone into the cell and deactivate more thyroid hormone. And that is going to result in either increased metabolism or decreased metabolism. And if we're having decreased metabolism, that's where we're going to have increased hypothyroid symptoms. So I do think for the vast majority of the people, uh, especially from the, from the patient base that I see, that many times when you go back and look at their health history, their health timeline, their thyroid physiology uh, challenges really started uh, months, years, or decades prior to their thyroid gland actually becoming uh, hypoactive. So in, in this scenario, the thyroid is reacting to an underlying issue within our own physiology. It's not causing an issue. And in that situation then, are there chronic diseases? Now, I know inflammation is, we can fairly confidently say that inflammation is the root of most, if not all, chronic diseases. But if someone, say, has a disease or a chronic condition like diabetes, or someone is suffering from a particular type of cancer, would you say that this is a protective mechanism that the thyroid is is going into or is this being completely dictated by physiology within the cells well i think it's a combination of both so we talk about this cell danger response right the cell danger response is this innate protective mechanism in which the cell senses danger it'd be like if you were cooking food for your family, I mean, we just came, you know, you come, I just on vacation, everybody's hanging around the kitchen, cooking and eating. If somebody broke into your home and started attacking your family, are you going to continue to cook food? Or are you going to go into defensive mode, right? I think most of us would say I'd go into protective defensive mode. The cells do the same thing. So when there is low stress on cells, they're going to be building new tissue, build, building new cells, making more energy. That's the focus of the cell. However, when there's excessive cell stress, they're going to say, hey, we don't need to make more tissues. We don't need to make more energy. We need to take the energy that we use for that and put that into cell defense. And so then the question might be, well, what's going to cause excessive cell stress? Well, it could be organisms. It could be toxins. 
It could be emotional stress or trauma. It could be poor respiration. It could be a number of things, physical stressors, chemical stressors, microbial stressors. Lots of things can create this excessive cell stress. And when the cell is in excessive stress, how does it help? How does it really regulate itself? One of those things is it does is it induces what we call this cell danger response where it tries to stiffen the cell membranes and find ways to identify and address the threat. And so deactivating thyroid hormone is one of those protective mechanisms within the cell that slows the metabolism down, that helps increase oxidative stress, which can be used as a defensive tool. The deactivation of thyroid hormone uh, can be used as a defensive tool because free iodine is, is really antimicrobial. Um, it can be used as part of that process um, to help upregulate inflammation, which again is part of that inflammatory process, but also part of the defensive process. So I think it initially starts in the cells and tissues, and then eventually, if the stress is persistent or chronic, that cell danger response then triggers in what I call like the next phase of hypothyroidism. So initially it's the peripheral cells or tissues that are experiencing the hypothyroidism locally. Um, but if it's chronic or persistent, this cell danger response causes the release of things called damps and PAMPs. And these are danger signals from the cells that circulate in the bloodstream. And they can be perceived by the thyroid gland cells themselves. And when the thyroid gland cells perceive these danger signals, it can actually initiate and the damage of the thyroid gland. And so, and it actually invite what we call the lymphocytic system to come in and create more thyroid cell damage. Somebody might say, well, that's the immune system out of control. But in reality, if the thyroid cells have the ability to perceive these danger signals and the thyroid cells have the ability to essentially self-destruct and then invite the invading the, the lymphocytes uh, into the thyroid gland to create more damage it sounds to me less like a mistake of cellular physiology, but more like a planned uh, defensive mechanism. Are there more receptor sites in certain areas of, uh, within certain areas of the body than others, or are they fair, more fairly evenly distributed? Receptor sites for? The, thyroids, uh, the, the thyroid hormone. Well, almost every cell and tissue has receptors um, for thyroid hormone, and there's lots of cells and tissues that have TSH receptors. So um, thyroid physiology is a key component to the, the physiology of just about every cell and tissue. So uh, almost every cell and tissue has some type of receptors, and the, the, the quantity and quality of thyroid receptors – varies from cell and tissue type mm -hmm. um, throughout the body, but almost every tissue or cell or tissue has some form of both uh, membrane thyroid receptors and nuclear mitochondrial thyroid receptors. So what I was getting at was if there is um, an issue with the thyroid, would there be one area of the body more acutely impacted because of the number of receptor sites? 
or no? Well, that's a tough question to ask or to answer, I would say. It's an easy question to ask, because you just did, <laughs> but uh, it's a tough question to answer. Okay. This, there's different sensitivity, level of sensitivity at different tissues. Right. So, like this, what we call the central system, the hypothalamus, the, the, the pituitary gland, they're far more receptive to small amounts of thyroid hormone than some of the peripheral tissues. And that's for a couple different reasons. The types of thyroid hormone transporters that carry T4 and T3 into the system, something called the deionase enzymes that convert T4 uh, to T3 or reverse T3 or T3 to T2, um, and the individual types of receptors, especially at the nucleus. Um, and in the central system, the primary type of receptor is thyroid receptor beta, which is about 10 times more sensitive to thyroid hormone than some of the other receptors in the body. So um, not all tissues experience low thyroid hormone okay. at the same time or to the same intensity because of what we call the peripheral control. Got it. Now, we've talked about the thyroid downregulating, so hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. there, are there scenarios that you have found where the thyroid would upregulate? Well, thyroid hormone can upregulate if there's a need to increase metabolism. You can have increased thyroid hormone production if there is another form of autoimmunity called Graves' disease, where a person produces antibodies to what are called the TSH receptors. And if you're making antibodies that bind to those TSH receptors that are TSH receptor stimulators, that can increase the production of thyroid hormone, which can then have too much T4 and T3 produced, which can result in hyperthyroid symptoms. In There's general, are you seeing more hypo versus hyper? I think the vast, I think that we typically see three different aspects. So we see way more hypothyroid patients. Okay. Um, but we also see people that who have classic Graves uh, hyperthyroidism going on. And then we see the people that are kind of in between. And those are the people that are having um, thyroid damage occurring and swing back and forth from hypothyroid symptoms to hyper th hypo to hyper, hyper to hypo, as there's more damage occurring at the thyroid gland. And sometimes too much thyroid hormone is being dumped out into the system and sometimes too little. Fascinating. Now, you did say a, a tidbit that has really um, piqued my interest because clinically I've seen, it seems to me, a bit of a rise in people with iron deficiency. Does the thyroid impact the absorption of iron? Well, iron physiology is, is critical to thyroid physiology and a number of other factors. Could thyroid hormone impact the transport mechanisms for iron? It could, 
Um, but there's also a lot of other factors that come into play when we're talking about what's causing low iron status. So could it? Yes. Is there other things that are maybe going on at the same time that maybe makes iron look low and the person maybe not really have iron deficiency, but maybe uh, what we call iron deficiency of chronic disease? I see that far more than I just see iron anemia. Interesting. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we're going to come back. We're going to continue this conversation, and um, maybe we'll start talking a little bit about uh, actionable steps that we can take. So everyone will be back in just a couple of minutes. trouble now I thought how do we ever get so far down and how's it ever gonna turn around so I turned my eyes to heaven I thought God why don't you do something well I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty children sold into slavery the thought disgusted me so I shook my fist at heaven I said God why don't you do something You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great conversation about thyroid health with Dr. Balkovaj. Uh, again, the show is being taped. So if you would um, like to follow us on our social sites, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, you can keep up with all the news of the Health Hub. And if you want to email us, please email us at thhradiomaria.ca. So let's talk about actionable steps now. Um, you go to the doctor, you get your you know, your basic panel for thyroid. And maybe you could actually explain the basic panel and then spread out into what maybe we should be asking for. Yeah, so this is where things kind of get difficult, right? Because the allopathic, your medical doctor and your endocrinologist doctor's guidelines say that a comprehensive thyroid panel is really a T4 and maybe a TSH or, and maybe, I mean, I'm sorry, a TSH and maybe a T4 or free T4. That's it. Those are the only two tests that they're told need to be run. And typically what's done is your doctor runs, if you have the signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism, they'll probably run a TSH with what they call reflex to to T4 or to free T4. And what that means is that they're going to run a TSH test when you get your blood draw. If the TSH is above lab range or below lab range, the lab will automatically run a free T4 or T4 test. Usually it's a free T4. Um, And that's how they're going to determine whether or not you have 
a hypothyroid condition. Now, it's important to understand that if it's above, if TSH is above lab range and T4 is below lab range, that's what's going to get you diagnosed as hypothyroidism. From a medical perspective, your medical doctor has been taught that there is not a really, there's not a actionable thyroid physiology problem that he can help with until your TSH is high and your T4 is low. Because the really the only tool that your allopathic doctor has to help you is to give you more thyroid hormone. And so what they're doing with that TSH and T4 test is saying that the thyroid gland can no longer make enough thyroid hormone. And so what we're going to do to fix your thyroid problem is we're just going to give you more thyroid hormone. And they're assuming that if they put more thyroid hormone into the system, that it's going to get converted into, it's going to get into the cells, get converted to T3, and it's going to support metabolism and the, everything will be hunky-dory. The problem is that not really what happens. And so people get, go to their primary care or their endocrinologist, they run a TSH and a T4, they get put on thyroid medication, and then some people do better, some people continue to have signs and symptoms. It's the frustrated people that get upset, though, and then that's when they seek out, search out somebody in functional medicine or integrative medicine and say, hey, I want to get my labs tested. And we say, well, you've only, you haven't had a comprehensive panel. They say, I did. I had a TSH and T4. And that's where somebody in functional medicine would say, well, there's more tests available. And we want to take a look at all those tests. We want to look at TSH. We want to look at total T4, total T3, free T4, free T3. T3 uptake, uh, reverse T3, thyroglobulin you might want to take a look at, and thyroid antibodies. And that's just the eight or ten tests within the thyroid panel. But from my perspective, you can't even interpret those tests appropriately without looking at the rest of a metabolic panel for the sign for clues that their why thyroid physiology would go become problematic or whether that thyroid physiology is actually working in the peripheral cells. The challenge, sorry, go ahead, continue. The challenge is that your primary care and your endocrinologist aren't going to run those additional tests because that's not part of the current medical guidelines. And from their perspective, the medical guidelines say, I only need to run these two tests. The only recommended treatment is T4 therapy, T4 therapy if TSH is high and free T4 is low, they're not really told what to do if your reverse T3 is elevated or your T3 is low. Those just those other tests are not part of the recommended guidelines. So it's not that the medical doctors not concerned or not trying to help you. They just don't have the tools to assess the rest of that panel or to address the rest of those panels, those other tests are out of lab or optimal range. I think it's important to go back to something that you said there, that even with all the testing done in the, the thyroid panel, you still have to look at periphery areas of the body. We are a system. Mm -hmm. And we do have to convert. So pumping the thyroid hormone, TSH, can it do anything if it's not being properly converted? And where can a, a glitch in this conversion take place? Well, the, the, could there be glitches in the conversion of T4 to T3 at the cell level? 
Uh, there could be glitches. I just don't think that they're necessarily always glitches. I think sometimes it's that, as we said, if somebody's got some type of excessive cell stress going on, their body's going to convert T4 primarily. They may convert more of that T4 to something called reverse T3, which is an inactive form of thyroid hormone. And why does that become important? Well, if you have hypothyroidism, you want to know, is it just because the gland doesn't work or is it because the body is deactivating the thyroid hormone you're producing, which would kind of be like, if your car wouldn't start, you would probably want to know, is it because I don't have gas in the car or is it because of some other problem that needs to be fixed, right? We can't always assume that the only reason a car doesn't run is because it doesn't have gas. Um, because there could be lots of reasons a car doesn't run. There can be lots of reasons why you're not getting sufficient thyroid hormone to your tissues and you're hypothyroid. Uh, and one of those things is because the gland's not making sufficient levels of T4 or T3. Um, but even if we said that's the cause, we still, as functional medicine practitioners, want to know, but why is that happening? You know, why did that happen to you in your 30s and continually to go on? We want to address the root cause issues. Um, in, in allopathic medicine, that's just not uh, what their focus is. Their focus is on, I treat a disease once it develops, and this is the treatment, and everybody's in the same box that this is all we need to do. But if you don't get to the root cause issues, you're going to continue to have problems. It's like... If you had a bucket with holes in it and, you know, my, my solution or maybe your solution would be, all right, what's causing the holes in the bucket and how do we patch the bucket? Whereas maybe the allopathic approach is just keep filling it. You just keep filling that bucket with water and eventually, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to keep filling the water, that bucket forever, but at least at some point in time, you'll have some water. I mean, it's just a, it's just a different thought process or strategy. So... It kind of leaves the average Joe with wondering where do they go from here. Um, even the actual panel that the allopathic, um, the allopathic profession puts you through, that range is quite wide, is it not? Well, the range is quite wide. wide. It's like depending on which lab, that's, you know, there's a problem because different labs have different ranges, right? Uh, but the, the lab range is not the problem as much as it is that's the signpost, right? So if somebody has, it, let's say if the lab range is 0.4 to uh, 4.5 um, for TSH, and it's in the optimal range, some people believe somewhere around 1.0 to 2.0, and if your TSH is 3.0, um, is that a problem? Maybe not. If everything else is good, signs and symptoms are good, no real issues, metabolism is good, I'm not really concerned about what that TSH is because it should fluctuate from time to time, depending on what's going on with the body, how long has it been since you, you know, did you just exercise, did you not exercise, uh, did you just wake up, what time of the day is it? So numbers can fluctuate, and we've got to be careful that we don't get too hung up on a range but we have, what we really need to do is we need to interpret lab values based on um, state signs and symptoms of our patient, uh, other lab markers, and supplements, medications, and what's going on. So 
the challenge becomes if you're if you're the layperson and you're struggling with hypothyroid symptoms and your TSH is 3.5 and you go to a primary care or an endocrinologist, they're going to tell you you're not bad enough for them to start treating yet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to a functional medicine practitioner, hopefully they're not saying, well, that's high. We just need to give you uh, a, a T4 medication or T4, T3 medication or T3 because it's high. Instead, your functional medicine practitioner should say, hey, there's a fluctuation or TSH is a little bit high from what we see optimally. Now, let's go look at the last rest of the lab value, thyroid panel, and find out, is there a reason why that's elevated? Hey, there, there is inflammatory markers going on and we're having decreased production of thyroid hormone. We can see that because we've ran the rest of the panel. Or we're seeing increased deactivation of thyroid hormone, meaning there's not enough getting to the cells or tissues. So I think it becomes really tough for the just the average patient to really get a grasp on what's happening with thyroid physiology because, uh, A, they're used to going to a doctor, getting a few tests done, it's black or white, you either have a problem that needs medication or you don't have a problem at all. They reach out to a functional medicine practitioner hoping for that really black or white kind of answer. And as you probably know, it's usually rarely ever black or white. Mm -hmm. It's usually like, well, there are problems with thyroid physiology, but we're not going to address that because that's not really broken. What's probably causing those results to be the way they are is because you, you don't sleep or you, you have a chronic gut infection or you have chronic uh, some type of toxicity or you have a lot of emotional stress or trauma and the person gets frustrated like, I have a thyroid problem. I don't want to deal with all the other stuff. I got a thyroid problem. Well, you have thyroid physiology, you have a change in thyroid physiology, but we're not going to fix it by forcing it. That's allopathic medicine. What we need to do is get to the root cause issue. So it, I think it, it can be very confusing and cumbersome when somebody's going from a model that they know well, which is that allopathic model to a functional medicine model. And it's never, it's more shades of gray than it is black or white. I think it's it's confusing too because we're still um, not fully grasping that it's not organ by organ. It is a system that we're working with. What would you um, what would you knee jerk test automatically with a thyroid panel? Meaning, would you test for um, obviously by the conversation you would test for inflammatory markers? But are there other blood draws or other tests that you would necessarily run when you're seeing an issue with the thyroid? Yeah. I, as part, I would always run initial, what I call comprehensive metabolic panel. That's a loose term because, you know, everybody's got a different definition for what that means. But my, my initial comprehensive metabolic panel is about 65 tests. So I want to look at their blood sugar physiology. Um, so I'll look at fasting glucose. I'll look at their insulin. I'll look at their hemoglobin A1C. I'll look at their LDH because I want to know if if they have blood sugar regulation problems, then I know that they probably have a cellular or tissue hypothyroid condition going on because you need thyroid hormone to get glucose, blood sugar, into cells and tissues. Whether it's in a fasted state or a fed state, you have to have optimal levels of thyroid hormone. Um, I'll look at a lipid panel 
because you need thyroid hormone in the liver to get to have normal lipid metabolism. So if their cholesterol is high or low, I know there's a good possibility they have a thyroid problem at the liver. If their LDL is high, I know it's a good indication that they probably have a thyroid problem at the liver because LDL, which is the kind of the boat that carries cholesterol around the body, can't dock to the liver and drop off its cholesterol if you don't have enough T3 hormone inside the liver. Uh, I'll look at inflammatory markers because I know or research shows us that inflammation causes the deactivation of thyroid hormone and inflammation suppresses TSH production. So if a person has normal TSH and the rest of the lab panel is showing a low level of T4 and T3, somebody may say, if my T4 and T3 are low, why would my TSH be low? Well, if they have inflammation, inflammation will actually suppress, they'll actually increase the conversion of T4 to T3 in the brain, and therefore TSH will be low, and so the gland's not getting the stimulation that it needs. So I'll run inflammatory markers. I'll look at, I'll look at other, I think I talked, liver markers, you'll look at liver enzyme markers, ALT and AST and GGT. I will take a look at... Uh, lots of markers of gut physiology because we both know that uh, one of the biggest problems we have in this country is low-grade inflammation, low-grade inflammation. One of the big places that problems come from is the GI tract. So if I see multiple markers of malabsorption, magnesium deficiency, maybe calcium deficiency, uh, maybe B9, B12, or other markers of nutrient deficiency, then I know that, hey, I've probably got a problem with within the GI tract and that may be uh, one of the things that's going to impact thyroid physiology. So I typically run a pretty comprehensive panel at the start because I want the 30,000-foot view of my patient to see, do they have a thyroid physiology problem? Is it cellular? Is it autoimmune? Or is it primary hypothyroidism? Where are they on the spectrum? And then I want to look for clues of uh, what may be triggering it or causing it and what tissues and systems have become compromised as a result of cellular hypothyroidism. It's such a complicated area, um, and hopefully everyone has, has appreciated that. And it's not as simple. And, and sometimes we need to get into the minutiae to find our way out, I think. And I think that, that you're giving everyone a really good starting piece to sort of rethink the way normally we think about the thyroid. Um, you have a book that's coming out that can be of great service to listeners. Can you tell us about that, when it's coming out, all of yeah. that? So uh, Victory Bell Publishing will be publishing our book. I say our book. I'm, my co-author is Dr. Kelly Halderman. She's a medical doctor. Um, I think our release date is uh, December for the book. It's called The Thyroid Debacle. And essentially what it what the book is about is, is this kind of story like, okay, here's how we've been taught thyroid physiology works and that it's, you know, the thing that just kind of goes wrong and the only solution for it is just to give thyroid hormone. So in, it's really, the book's broken down into three parts. The first part is the kind of the traditional medical training and how that, the old kind of this old model of thyroid physiology uh, and Kelly goes into that because as a medical doctor, it's exactly what she was taught. 
And um, it's exactly what led to a lot of her frustration when she developed thyroid condition. Uh, the second part of the book is all about this kind of new thought process, this new thinking about thyroid physiology instead of it being a gland that just becomes dysfunctional because your immune system is dysfunctional to an, this concept that thyroid physiology is this adaptable, adaptable piece of physiology that, that is self-regulated by our individual cells and tissues but adapts to what the body needs. And so many times what we're seeing is not – when we see people who are hypothyroid, have hypothyroidism or even hyperthyroidism, that it's not necessarily a mistake in physiology all the time, but an adaptive change. And I go to, I think, extreme lengths to try and show the literature and the science that shows that, hey, hypothyroidism is a protective mechanism in many cases, at least at the early onset. And then the third part of the book is all about things that the reader can do on a daily basis to help improve their cell stress, to reduce their cell danger response, and to naturally start to improve their thyroid physiology, um, whether they've been diagnosed with primary hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, or they're a person who was diagnosed with Graves' disease, had their thyroid gland irradiated or surgically removed, put on thyroid hormone, and they still don't feel well, if they, use the, if they use the tools and tips and suggestions in part three, there's a lot they can do on a daily basis to reduce their stress load and improve their thyroid physiology naturally. Awesome. And when does the book come out? Uh, it's set to be come out in December. It's in pre-order now on Amazon and, book, and, and I guess wherever you buy books, booksellers, yeah. Okay, sorry, give us the name of the book again so that people can go online. It's called Thyroid Debacle. Excellent. Fascinating conversation. It really has been. Um, it has opened my eyes to a lot of things. Always learning, right? We're always learning about different things. And um, I hope that, that everyone isn't overwhelmed by this, but more inspired to learn because it is a shift. And um, that's what we're trying to do here is give you information to help you, uh, you know, give you more tools. So thank you, Dr. Balkovash, for joining us. It's a really great conversation, one that I really appreciate. And uh, it's going to be a working part of how I think as well. Great. Thanks for having me. Everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.